Praise the Lord. Amen. You know, I, I sense the joy of the Lord's presence here tonight, that joy that is our strength, and so grateful for the presence of the Lord. Are you grateful for the presence of the Lord? Amen. It's the presence of the Lord that just gives life to everything that we do, you know. Why are we here tonight? Because Jesus is alive. Why do we sing? Because Jesus is alive. And just so grateful for the presence of the Lord. And again, just want to thank you for letting me come and share the word. I want to thank you so much for allowing me to come. You know, I always say this when people ask you to come back. That's a good thing. (laughs) That's a good thing. And uh, so grateful to be here. And again, I'm so grateful to have my wife and my daughter with me here tonight. You know, the last two times I was here, my daughter was asleep before I got up to preach. And I I told her, you have to stay awake so everybody can see how pretty you are. (laughs) I mean, to embarrass you, Rebecca, you don't have to stand, but won't you just wave your hand at everybody, Rebecca? (laughs) Even daddies just do things like that. Well, tonight I want to talk to you on the uh, topic to share with you on the topic of how do I know the will of God? And it's something that I've talked about with you before, so you'll probably hear me some things that I've said before, but there is another angle that I want to bring to it, and there are some things in my heart that I want to add with some things that I have said. So I do believe the Lord has a fresh word uh, for us tonight. And uh, would you just turn with me to John chapter 17? John chapter 17. John 17. And before I I, uh, make my first point tonight, I just want to say that at one time or another, You know, if you're truly serious about your relationship with God, there will be a time in our life when we'll begin to ask, you know, what what is God's will for my life? What is God calling me to do? You know, I sense that God has a purpose for my life. I I sense that there's something that he wants me to do for his kingdom. And, And so what is the will of God for my life? And, you know, that's a legitimate question, so I want to talk to you about how do I know the will of God. And uh, the first point I I simply want to make is that, you know, what God's ultimate will for his people is. What ultimately is the will of God for his people? And so I had you turn to John chapter 17. And let me just begin by saying that many times when I minister on John chapter 17... I like to ask the congregation, you know, what is your definition of eternal life? You know, if you had to define eternal life, what is eternal life? And most of the time I get answers, well, eternal life means to live forever. Eternal life means I'm going to be in heaven with God forever. That's why I define eternal life. 
But I want to look at how Jesus defined eternal life. So I want you to look with me at verse 3, John 17, verse 3. Jesus says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So in verse 3, I want you to notice that when Jesus defines eternal life, he doesn't even mention living forever. He doesn't even talk about, he doesn't even put living forever in his definition. You know, according to Jesus, eternal life is simply knowing God in a very intimate, a very personal way, and knowing his son Jesus in a very intimate and a very personal way. And yes, we live forever. That's a given. We live forever. But there's a purpose why we live forever. We don't just live forever just to live forever. You know, we live forever so that we can walk in a deep, intimate, very personal, very precious relationship with God and his son, Jesus Christ. That is eternal life. It's having that relationship with God forever and ever. Beloved, we were created to walk in a deep and intimate personal relationship with God. And I believe with all my heart, I believe your relationship with God should be the most precious thing in your life. I believe it should be the most priceless thing in your life. I believe your relationship with God is the one thing above everything else that you invest in, that you're purposely investing in. It's in your relationship with God. And here's what I want us to understand. Listen, if you miss that, you miss everything. If you miss that, you miss everything. Listen, it doesn't matter what work you're doing in the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what you're accomplishing in the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what, what programs you're building and, and uh, what works you're achieving for the kingdom of God. If your relationship with Jesus Christ is not the most precious thing in your life, then you have missed everything. So why do I say if you miss this, you miss everything. Well, could you turn with me a couple of chapters? Go with me to John chapter 19. Look with me at one verse. That's verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled... He said, I thirst. And I like to call this the thirst of God. I like to call this the thirst of God. You see, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, I thirst. And I know he was talking about a natural thirst. I know he was really thirsty and he was talking about a natural thirst. But even more than that, he was describing the thirst in the heart of God that sent him to the cross. See, Jesus, Jesus knew, he's describing this incredible thirst that came into the heart of God the, the minute man broke his fellowship with God in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned and that, and that relationship, that personal relationship with God was broken, immediately there came a thirst in God's heart to have that relationship renewed with his people. And beloved, the question I want to ask you is, you know, can you imagine how thirsty God's heart was to walk with you in a very intimate way, to walk with you in a renewed fellowship? Can you, can you even begin to imagine how thirsty God's heart must have been 
to have that personal relationship with you that he would send his son Jesus to die on the cross to quench that thirst. I'm telling you, his heart is thirsty for you. And that's why he sent his son to die on the cross so he could have that renewed fellowship and quench that thirst within his heart. He's thirsty for you. He's thirsty for a relationship with you. You know, I think about Paul's words in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ, and, and that's good truth. But at the very end of verse 20, he says, talking about Jesus, he says, who loved me and gave himself for me. And brothers and sisters, your, your relationship with God, your salvation has to become that personal in your life. You know, he died for me. He gave himself for me. Yes, I'm, I'm so grateful for John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whosoever believes in him should perish. You know, that's a very precious truth. That's a very priceless verse. But it goes deeper than that. He died for me. And the reason why he died for me is because his heart thirsts to walk with me. His heart thirsts to have a relationship with me. His heart thirsts to have that personal, intimate relationship with me. And that is why he died on the cross. So I'm saying it doesn't matter what you're doing for God, what you're accomplishing for God. If your relationship with Jesus Christ is not the most important thing in your life, then you've missed everything. You've missed everything. Amen. So how do we cultivate this intimacy with the Lord? How do we cultivate it? Will you go with me back a couple of chapters? Go with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. In John chapter 11, we know Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And we know that really speaks so much about our salvation experience. You know, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. But Jesus died on the cross that we'd be raised again in newness of life. So John chapter 11 really is a picture of the salvation experience. But what I want you to understand is that when, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he had a destination in mind for Lazarus. He didn't just raise him from the dead to raise him from the dead. He raised him from the dead because there was somewhere in the heart of Jesus that he wanted to lead Lazarus. So look with me at John chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Then it says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus had been raised from the dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And I want to emphasize that word table. Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. So I want you to capture this. Jesus led Lazarus from the tomb to the table. Amen. Wouldn't that make a great sermon title, From the Tomb to the Table? If you want to steal that, preachers, you can have that one. From the tomb to the table. Amen. Jesus had a destination in mind. Lazarus, I'm raising you from the dead because I want to take you from the tomb to the table. And I just want to say God has a table for all of our lives. And what is that table? To me, that table is your devotional life. It's your secret life with the Lord. It's, it's that life you've heard me talk about so many times. It's just that very private, intimate, personal life that you have with God. 
The table is that place where you go and you get alone with God and, and you just begin to share your heart with God. That's what the table represents. I'm telling you, God loves that alone time with you. And, and what does this secret place look like? Well, look with me at verse 3. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil, a perfume, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. So the Bible says that Mary took perfume and she broke it and she just began to anoint the feet of Jesus and wash his feet with her hair. Now here's the question I want to ask you. You know, when she broke this box and she began to anoint his feet, what is she really doing? I mean, it's a physical display of, of something that's in her heart. What is she really doing? Let me tell you what she's doing. When she's anointing Jesus' feet with this perfume, what she's really doing is she's pouring out her love on Jesus. She's pouring out her worship on Jesus. She's pouring out her gratefulness on Jesus. And that is what makes your secret place such an intimate place. Because it's the place where you just get along with God and you begin to pour your love upon him, pour your heart upon him, begin to pour your gratefulness upon him. You know, that's what the secret place looks like. It's just me and Jesus. Amen. And, and here's what I want us to understand. In the secret place, something very precious and priceless begins to happen in your life. Look with me at verse 3. It says, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil, a perfume, and anointed the feet of Jesus and washed his feet with his hair. And then it says, And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. Beloved, that speaks to me of a beautiful anointing. That's what it speaks of. You know, when you're in that secret place, just loving Jesus and worshiping Jesus and just having that time with Jesus, that is the place where the beauty of God's presence comes upon your life. That is the place where the beauty of God's compassion comes upon your life. That is the place where the beauty of God's tenderness comes upon your life. And it begins to flow out of your life and begins to touch the people around you in a very sweet way. Amen. I'm going to tell you something. Listen, God's anointing for your life doesn't come from getting in somebody else's prayer line. I'm just going to say that with all my heart. It doesn't come by getting in somebody else's prayer line. You know, I've heard preachers preach sermons on the double portion, Elisha and the double portion. And then at the end of their message, they would have a prayer line. Okay, anybody want the double portion, this life of double portion, just come to my prayer line. I'm going to lay hands on you, and we're going to pray and believe for the double portion. I'm telling you, God's anointing does not come on your life that way. It comes from one place. It comes from your devotional life with God. It comes from your secret, intimate place with God. That's where it comes from. Amen. And sometimes preachers, you know, they'll charge you to get in their anointing line and pray for the... So I just saved you 20 bucks. All right? I just saved you 20 bucks. It comes out of that intimate place with Jesus. There's no other place it comes from. Amen. But here's what I want you to understand. There's always another voice that's going to try to we we weasel into your secret place. You know, when you have a secret place with God, there's always going to be another voice that's going to try to weasel into your secret place with God. You see, more than anything you possess, the devil hates your devotional life. 
And there's only one thing he's afraid of. He's not afraid of your gifts and your talents and your abilities. He's afraid of the anointing that comes out of the secret place with God. So when you have a secret place with God, there's always another voice trying to weasel into your secret place. Look with me at verse 4. It says, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Look at verse 4. Does everybody see that word given and given to the poor? So there's always another voice that's going to try to weasel into your secret life, your intimate, your private life with God. And that's the voice of the accuser. And you know what his accusation is? Here's what his accusation, here's what it always is. Listen, you have no right to have this intimate life with Jesus. You're not giving enough. In other words, you're not living a sacrificial life. You're not sacrificing enough. You're not giving enough of yourself. You're not giving enough of your time. You're not giving enough of your talent. You're not giving enough of your money. I'm telling you, he has a long list of things to tell you you're not doing enough of. You're not giving enough of your heart. You're not giving enough in the work of God. There's always more you should be doing. There's always more you should be doing. There's always more you should should be doing. And he's just trying to use that to make you feel guilty like you're not worthy enough to have an intimate life with God. Well, I guess there's just a part of my heart that I haven't given to the Lord yet. You know, that's his whole secret. His whole secret is if I can convince you you're not living a sacrifice life, You're not living sacrificially. I can keep you out of the intimate life. I can keep you out of an intimate life. But here's what I love. I want you to look with me at verse 7. But Jesus said, (laughs) let her alone. Just stop there. In other words, here's what I want you to capture. Suddenly, the authoritative word of God came and killed his argument. The authoritative word of God came and silenced his argument. And here's my whole point. More than any place in your life, it's in the secret place, reading your Bibles, where God's word begins to rule in your life and authority. More than any other place in your life, it's in that place, secret place with God, sitting at his feet, reading your Bible. That the word of God comes and begins to shut the mouth of every argument the enemy has against your life. Amen. So do you see why the enemy will do anything to keep you out of a secret place? You see why he'll do anything to try to keep you from having a devotional life? It's because he knows what transpires in that devotional life. You know, I like what Jesus said. The Bible says that Mary was sitting at his feet. And he said, Martha, Martha, you trouble about many things, but she's chosen the better part. And here's the part that I love. She's chosen the better part that cannot be taken away from her. I'm telling you, whatever transpires between you and God in the secret place, the world, the flesh, and the devil is powerless to take it away from you. That's why he fears the secret place so much. So I hope I'm getting you hungry to have a secret place with God. Amen. Now, let's just talk about about knowing God's will for your life in regards to calling. You know, this is where a lot of people get kind of fearful. What is God's call on my life? How do I figure out what God is calling me to do? 
You know, that's where a lot of people get fearful. And I do want us to understand that this would be my second point. All of God's people are called to do something. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to good works. So all of us have good works to do for the kingdom. All of us have a calling, some type of calling from the Lord. And so we can get fearful trying, you know, I'm trying to figure out this calling. But, you know, I want to talk to you about that for just a moment. So could you just turn with me to Mark chapter 1? Go with me to Mark chapter 1. Look with me at verse 16 and 17. It says, and he, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And right now, I want to emphasize the word, follow me. And, and here's what I want us to understand. Knowing God's will begins with the command, follow me. Knowing God's will begins with the command, follow me. In other words, Jesus is saying, I know my will for your life. I know how I want to use your life. I know what I want to accomplish through your life. So I'm going to lead you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you can't begin to know my will for your life because it so far exceeds your expectations. It so far exceeds your strength. It so far exceeds your abilities. You can't even begin to know my will for your life. So follow me. Now, here's what I want you to capture, because I, I thought this was very powerful when I was preparing this. In the command to follow Christ, we have a great promise that Jesus will lead us. In other words, when Jesus said, follow me, he's, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I am taking personal responsibility to lead your life. That's powerful. When Jesus says, follow me, he says, I am taking personal responsibility to lead your life. That's what he's saying. Jesus is saying, I have your life mapped out from beginning to end. I know everything in between beginning to end that I want to do through your life. So I am going to take personal responsibility and taking you by the hand and leading you in my plan for your life. And can I tell you something? There is such a rest in that. You know why there's a rest in that? Because that means I don't have to spend my time trying to figure out what he's calling me to do. I don't have to spend my time trying to guess what he's calling me to do. Jesus says, no, no, no. You don't have to try to figure out what I'm, what I'm calling you to do. You just let me lead you. I'm going to take personal responsibility of planning you in my will and keeping you in my will. That's my responsibility. You just follow me. But here's what we have to understand. Walking in the will of God is a day-to-day -day thing. That's how you follow him. Day to day. You know, I've heard people ask the question, what is God's will for my life? But the better question would be, what is God's will for my life today? What is he calling me to do today? Where is he leading me today? See, I've learned something. You can get so focused on tomorrow. What is he calling me to do? You can get so focused on tomorrow, you miss the fullness of what he wants to do today. So I've learned something. If you'll just focus on today, he'll take care of your tomorrow. Amen. I believe that with all my heart. 
what is God calling me to do? Well, well, you're going to blow so many brain cells trying to figure that out. Why don't you just focus on what God is calling you to do today? And he'll be faithful to lead you in your tomorrows. So I love that about the Lord. When he says, follow me, what he's simply saying is, I take personal responsibility to lead your life. You don't have to try to figure it out. You don't have to try to guess what I'm calling you to do. I'm going to plant you. I'm going to lead you. But you just walk with me one day at a time, and you'll always be right in the center of my will. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, it's that simple. I thank God he's made it that simple in my life. You know, I could drive myself crazy trying to think of, you know, about the future. And he says, no, 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 that's in my hands. You just walk with me today. And that just simplifies everything. Amen. Amen. So look with me again at verse 17. We're in Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Then Jesus said to, the, to them, follow me, and I will make you. And that would actually be my fourth point according to my notes. As we follow him, we're transformed. Because he says, follow me, and I will make you. Listen, here's what you have to understand. Whatever God's call is for your life, it's not about your strength. It's not about your abilities. It's not about your willpower. Because all these things will fall short. It's all about what God's power is doing in your life. He said, I will make you. You know, walking in my will, your strength is insufficient. Your abilities are insufficient. But it's not about your strength. It's not about your abilities. It's about the work that I'm doing in your life. Amen. Brothers, sisters, understand something. You know, God will never call you to do something you can do in your own strength and abilities. He will never call you to do that. The reason why he'll never call you to do that is because he's not interested in accomplishing a man-sized task. He wants to accomplish a God-sized task so he can get God-sized glory. Amen. I heard a preacher say one time, you know, if you're doing something that you know you can do in your own strength, then you're probably not in the will of God. (laughs) He wants to do something in your life that only God can do. Amen. And he's just looking for a people like... Pastor Patrick said he's just looking for a people who have finally come to the end of themselves who can say with all their heart, I can't do it, but you can. Amen. That's all he's looking for. He's just looking for a people whose absolute dependence is upon him. You know, I like what Pastor Patrick said. There are going to be times God's going to have you bump in the walls. Can I just say something? There's going to be times you're going to bump into a lot of walls. Until he finally gets it out of your head and into your heart. I really can't do anything without him. And then we start striving our strength again. So he'll put up another wall. And then put up another wall. And then put up another wall. Some of you are wondering, how come God hasn't used me yet? It's because you haven't come to the end of yourself yet. You're still saying, yeah, I, can do, I can't do anything without God. You know, only God can do it. But it's coming out of here and not here. He said, yeah, you can say that all you want to. Yeah, I can't do anything without God. Yeah, say it all you want to. But I only, I'm the one who knows when you're saying it out of your heart. 
Amen. It's so ingrained in this nature, even as Christians, to trust in our own strength, lean in our own strength. So God will put wall, 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 until we finally get it. You know what, God? My strength, my talents, my abilities are powerless. Have you ever found yourself on your face before God saying, oh God, I am so at the end of myself. Well, you know what God is doing? He's in heaven saying, good. (laughs) Because the end of self is always the beginning of God. But I've got to get you there. So the will of God isn't anything about your strength, your abilities. Nothing about that. It's about his power working in your life. And he's just looking for someone who's dependent. Amen. Looking for someone who's dependent. I want to tell you something. Until God brings you to a place of absolute dependence, your talents just get in his way. They just get in his way. Because you're just running with your talents and abilities. Going to do something great for God. Doing things God never called you to do. I'm going to do something great for God. And so he's got to bring you to a place of absolute dependence until he can use your talents like he wants to. Amen. Amen. That's not in my notes. Thank God. Amen. Look with me. Back at Mark chapter 1. Verse 17. Well, Pastor Tim, are you ever going to get around to finding out how to do the will of God? I I am. Just walk with me because I'm almost there. Look with me at verse 17. Then Jesus said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And I I love that. He said, fishers of men. Brothers and sisters, that is your job description. Jesus says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. In other words, whatever calling, whatever position, whatever title God gives you, it's all about loving people and focusing on people and impacting people. You know, some of you may become pastors and teachers and missionaries, but don't let your title consume your focus. It's all about loving people and impacting people. Many people don't understand this. Do you know how I know? Do you know how I know many people don't understand this? They're so consumed with titles and positions. You want to know how I know that? It's because when you ask them to do something, their answer and their response is, well, well, uh, that's not my call. That's not my call. God didn't call me to do that. You know, we're short in Sunday school today, and we really need Sunday school teachers. You know, we, we, we got kids coming in, and, and we got teachers that are just out, maybe sick or on vacation, and we could really use your help. Would you help us in the Sunday school department? And here's their answer. Well, child ministry, that's not my calling. I'm not called to do that. I'm not called to do that. And when people tell you, I'm not called to do that, that's not my calling, what they're really telling you is this, I don't want to do it, that's my excuse. That's my excuse. No, no, we do have titles and positions, but we can't forget it's about people. Impacting people, loving people. Amen. Amen. So, 
Let's talk about how to know God's will. How do I know God's will? How do I know God's calling on my life? And here's the question I want to end with. How did Jesus know the will of God? How did he figure out what God was calling him to do? Every day of his life, how did he discern, this is what God is calling me to do. This is what God's not calling me to do. I have a clear vision of what he's calling me to do. You know, how did Jesus know the will of God? Beloved, did you know the answer to that question is actually in the Bible? He answers that himself. He tells you how he knew how to do the will of God. And you find it in John chapter 5. Look with me at John chapter 5. Look with me at John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Look with me at verse 19. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. Just stop there. Jesus said, I can do nothing of myself but what I see the Father do. So here's what Jesus just said. Here's what he said. In order to know what I'm supposed to do, the Father has to show me. In order to know what my Father is calling me to do, what his calling on my life is, he says, my Father has to show me. So the question is, you know, where does eyes to see and a heart to discern God's will come from? If God has to show us, then where does eyes to see and hearts to discern God's will come from? Well, you'll actually find it in verse 20. Capture this, verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he does. So here's what Jesus just said. He said, for the Father loves the Son. Now, there's an, there's an implication here. It doesn't just mean for the father loves the son. No, it's two-sided. What Jesus is saying is this. The father loves the son and the son loves the father. And it's out of this intimacy with my father that he puts a discernment in my life to understand what he's calling me to do. See, here's what I want you to understand. Knowing the will of God is not about following formulas and methods. It's about a discernment that comes into your heart as you walk in a love relationship with God. Has nothing to do with methods and formulas. It's all about this supernatural understanding, this supernatural sensing. I know what God is calling me to do because out of this love relationship with my father, he's put a discernment in my life. Amen. I know there are people here tonight and you probably have decisions that you have to make and you are hoping, Pastor Tim, you know, I think God's calling me to do this. Can you give me some steps? <laughs> step one, step two, step three, that I can know this is truly God. I can't give you steps because knowing his will has nothing to do with following steps. Has everything to do with your love relationship with God. As you walk in that intimate relationship with him, he will put a discernment in your life. And the peace of God will rule your heart. Amen. So in the meantime, what do I do? Here's my one answer to give you. Wait. 
And I love how how the Bible says, wait upon the Lord. You know, a lot of times when we're waiting, we're focusing on the wrong thing. We're focusing on this door to open. We're focusing for this change to come. We're focusing on this breakthrough. But the Bible doesn't say wait for a change, wait for a breakthrough. It says wait upon the Lord. And I guess my point is sometimes we can get so focused on on the change, on the door, on the breakthrough that we totally get our focus off the Lord. And here's what the Lord is saying. While you're waiting, keep your focus on me. And I will lead you. I will show you. The most important thing in your life is is your love relationship with me. That's what you focus on. That's what you invest in. And while you're waiting upon me, I will lead your life. Amen? So it really does go back to relationship, doesn't it? In fact, the more I walk with God, the more I understand everything goes back to relationship with the Lord. Amen. Stand with me tonight. Here's what I want to do. In my heart, I I just feel like there are some people going into 2020 with some decisions that you need to make. And you really need to know the mind of the Lord. And I believe there are some people going into 2020, the year 2020, and you're, you're so worried and you're so anxious and you're so fearful. that you've taken your focus off the Lord. And I feel like the Lord just wants me to to tell you tonight, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you. I've made it my personal responsibility to walk with you every day through my will. And I'm going to help you. I'm going to open every door that you need open. I'm going to give you every breakthrough that you need. I'm going to do that. But I want you to put your focus back on the Lord. Back on your relationship with God. Amen. A very simple altar call, but I feel like the Lord is saying, I want you to go into 2020 just casting all your burdens, all your concerns upon me. Just know that they're in my hand. I'm going to take care of them. And one more time, would you just come back to my feet and just make it all about me again. Amen. And I'm telling you, as you do that, the Lord's going to fill your heart with peace. Amen. Pastor Patrick, I know I'm about five minutes over. Can I just share one thing that's on my heart? You know, Pastor Patrick was talking about God is in control. And about seven, eight years ago, the Lord gave me a dream. And in this dream, I was flying an airplane. And I looked out my window and I saw I was in a B-17 bomber. And I got all excited. I am flying a B-17 bomber. I forgot that the reason why you fly bombers is because you're in a war. (laughs) 
so as I'm getting excited about my bomber, suddenly enemy shell hits my plane and my plane go, immediately goes into a nosedive. So fear fills my heart and I'm pulling up on the controls, trying to get the plane to come up. And God speaks to my heart in the dream. He speaks to my heart and he says, Tim, let go of the controls. And I said, oh God, I can't let go of the controls. I got to get this plane back in the air. And he says again, Tim, let go of the controls. And I'm so full of fear, I can't let go of the controls. It's like the fear just paralyzed me. And I, I, I said, I can't let go of the controls. I got to get this plane in the air. And the Lord spoke a third time and he said, Tim, let go of the controls. So I, I finally knew, well, I've crossed the point of known return. I'm going to die, so I might as well do it. <laughs> And I let go of the controls and threw my hands up like this. And suddenly an invisible hand reached into the cockpit, took hold of the controllers, pulled up on the controls, and the plane began to ascend. And God spoke to my heart and he says, Tim, there's so many things in your life because of your fear you're trying to control. And because you're trying to control it, all it's doing is getting worse. But if you will just take your hands off of it and trust that I'm in control, I'll make the difference. So I guess my question tonight is, are there things you just need to let go of control and trust God's in control? You have relationships. God is saying, you just need to let go of control and trust I'm in control. You got circumstances in your life, you know, you're holding on. And God said, you just got to let go and trust that I'm in control. You got wayward kids. You're doing your very best to bring them back to God. But God is saying, you know what, you just need to let go. And trust I'm in control. Amen. So here's my altar call. Pastor Tim, I've taken, I just have things in my life I'm so worried about and, and I'm so consumed by and I've gotten my focus off the Lord. But tonight, I'm just going to let go and say, God, it's yours. I trust that you're in control. Amen. So as the praise team comes, I would really like to pray for you tonight because I know exactly what that feels like. So. They're just things you just need to let go of it. Things that are too big for you, too big for your strength, too big for your, your own wisdom and understanding. Let's just give it to the Lord. Say, God, I can't handle this anymore. I just can't handle this anymore. And I just have to let go. If you will give me the grace, I will let go. And by faith, just trust that you're in control. Amen. Amen. Father, I sense in my heart there's people in this altar that are going into the new year facing things that are so much bigger than they are. It's bigger than their strength. It's bigger than their abilities. It's bigger than their reasoning. It's so much bigger than they are. But it's not bigger than you. It's not bigger than you. And so, Father, I ask for each one that come to this altar, Lord, I, I know the struggle. I, I, I know how hard it can be sometimes to let go of the fear and just unreservedly cast our cares upon you. But, Lord, I'm asking for grace. Would you just give my brothers and sisters just the grace to take it and say, God, it's bigger than I am, but it's not bigger than you are.
and you love me and you are faithful. You sent your son Jesus to die on the cross because you were thirsty to have a relationship with me so I can trust this into your hands. And I ask that you would take it. God, there are things I've sensed you're saying I just need to take my hands off of. I've been trying to control it for so long, but all I've done is make it worse. So God, I'm taking my hands off the controls and I'm just trusting that God, you're reaching in and you're taking control. God, I trust you. I trust your timing. I trust your way. I trust your plans. I'm not going to try to figure out how you're going to do it because your ways are higher than my ways. Your ways are not my ways, but I'm just going to trust you're going to do it. I trust that you're going to do it. God, I pray that each one would walk out of here with a peace in their heart. I'm no longer in control. I gave the control to God. And in his love and faithfulness, he's going to do it. God, let that peace fill every heart that's in this altar and trust you. And God, if we've got our focus off of you, we've allowed our troubles and trials to consume our focus. Lord, one more time, we just put our focus back on the Lord. God, I love you. And I'm going to walk with you. And I'm going to seek you, God. Father, I thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. I pray it in Jesus' name.